Well, this morning our our preach word is going to come out of the Old Testament prophet, uh, the uh, the book of Jonah, and we want to read uh, from the first chapter of the of Jonah's prophetic book, and we're going to read the first. Well, we're going to read the entire uh, chapter of verse. I'm sorry, chapter of uh, chapter one. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, they will also be up on the screen. If you would stand, we, we do stand here at Harvest. If you're able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? I will be reading out of the New International Version of the Bible. And it reads, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for, the, for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed, from, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and, a, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will notice us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it became real calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not because the sea grew wilder and wilder. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. 
you guys can turn the monitors down just a little bit. Father, in the name of Jesus, my simple prayer is let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable during this preached moment. Let them be acceptable in your eyes, O Lord, because you are my strength and you are my redeemer. And all who would agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. In 2008, the original Taken movie was released. The movie is about Brian Mills, who's played by Liam Neeson, who is a former Green Beret and retired CIA agent. The plot line of the movie is that Brian is all about rescuing his daughter, Kim, who has been abducted by sex traffickers in Paris. During the kidnapping scene, Brian tells Kim to hide under the bed, and he says, and I quote, The next part is very important. They are going to take you. Kim, stay focused, baby. This is key. You have five, maybe ten seconds. Very important seconds. Leave the phone on the floor. Concentrate. Shout out everything you see about them. Hair color, eye color, tall, short, scars, everything you see. You understand? They're there. I can hear them. Concentrate. Move the phone closer to the floor so I can hear. As Brian listens intently, Kim says, But to her horror, Kim is dragged from under the bed while kicking and screaming out a description of her abductors. One of them picks up Kim's phone, and Brian hears him breathing. And Brian says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a long career. Skills that will make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you, but if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you, and I will kill you. In other words, Brian was telling Kim's abductors, you can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. The prophet Jonah found this out the hard way. Jonah found out that God has a 
particular set of skills. Skills that are part of his eternal nature. Skills that make God a nightmare for people who refuse to listen to him. Jonah found out that God will look for you, that God will find you, and that God will discipline you. In other words, Jonah found out again, you can run, but you can't hide. Last week, last week, Minister Daniel preached from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, and, and he made me proud. I didn't even have to call him last week. Uh, uh, he made me proud. So seminary is working. Seminary, somebody say seminary is working. Seminary is working. And so he, he preached last week from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And his, his theological big idea was the importance of hearing the voice of God. And so today, today, I'd like to piggyback, if I can. I, can, I want to piggyback on Daniel's message from last week. And, and, and I want to uh, uh, continue on this theme about hearing the voice of God. And, and if you haven't noticed so far, the title of my message today is simply this. You can run, but you can't hide. And I, we don't do this often at Harvest, but we're going to do it today. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to tell him. I want you to say, look at him, say, neighbor, you can run, but you can't hide. Look at the neighbor next to you. Turn around to somebody else and say it again. Say, neighbor, you can run, but you can't hide. You can't hide. You can't hide. You can't hide. You can run, but you can't, can't hide. Now, now there, is, there is a subtitle to the text, and uh, the subtitle is Consequences of Not Listening to the Voice of God. You can run, but you can't hide. Consequences of Not Listening to the to the voice of God. Now, as we turn our attention back to the text, the, the very first thing that we see in verse 1 of our text is it, something that Daniel, it was one of his points from last week, and it's a very important point that Daniel made last week, and, and the point is this. The God of the Bible is a speaking God. The God of the Bible is a speaking God. In other words, our God talks. God talks directly. God talks indirectly. God talks to his creation. God talks through his creation. We see this in Psalms 119 verses 1 through 2, and I'm, I'm going to quote it out of the New Living Translation, and it says that the heavens... Proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to what? Speak. Night after night, they make him known. 
That's talking about the creation that we see outside. No, you may not get to know God intimately in, in, in the person of Jesus Christ by looking at creation, but no person has an excuse to declare that there is no God because God has made himself known in the created order. Day after day, the creation is speaking to the reality that there is a God. There is a God. You have no excuse to declare that there isn't a God. Now, in our passage, God talks to one of his Old Testament prophets. Now, quick little definition about Old Testament prophets. Now, simply speaking, an Old Testament prophet represented God before people. The prophet was God's mouthpiece. The prophet was the one who heard from God and who went and declared God's word to people. Now, a priest was different than a prophet. The prophet represented the people before God. The prophet represented God before the people. Now, now the prophet in the Old Testament had two basic broad functions, Tish. As, he, as it related to the nation of Israel, the prophet was a covenant enforcer. The prophet, as he related to Israel, was the one that God used to call his people back to covenant fidelity or covenant faithfulness. So whenever Israel violated God's covenant, whenever they were disobedient to God's covenant, God would send them a prophet. God sent them Zechariah. God sent them Isaiah. God sent them Obadiah. God sent them all of the prophets, and he was telling them to come back to me. Come back to obedience to the covenant that I gave you. So on one level, an Old Testament prophet was the covenant enforcer for Israel. But, but the prophet also was used by God to warn the nations of impending judgment. And that's exactly what we see in this particular text. God gave Jonah an assignment. And the assignment is in verses 1 and 2. Let's read it again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son Amittai, Go, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. The assignment looks pretty simple. Jonah, I want you to go. And I want you to preach. God gave Jonah specific instructions about what he wanted him to do, a specific place he wanted him to, to go, and a specific thing that he wanted him to do. But, but Pastor Mike, does a problem in the text. You want to know what the problem in the text is? The problem in the text, Pastor Mike, is that Jonah doesn't like his assignment. Jonah doesn't like his assignment. He doesn't like what God has spoken to him. 
And you may wonder, well, how do you know? How, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know Jonah doesn't like his assignment? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 3, but Jonah ran. Said Jonah ran. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against Nineveh. But, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction. Nineveh was about 500 miles away from where Jonah was. But Jonah decided to go in the opposite direction, Tish, which was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But Jonah ran from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, found a ship, got on board, and after he paid the fare, he went aboard the ship sailing for Tarshish in an attempt to flee from the Lord. But, but, but Daniel, don't be too quick to judge Jonah. Because like Jonah, we don't always like the assignments God gives to us. Think about this. Before, 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 before we surrendered our lives to Jesus, none of us liked God's assignment of embracing his plan of salvation. None of us, you, none of us wanted to get saved. None of us was looking to get saved. None of us was running to the house of God to get him saved. So, so like Jonah, we ran. We ran from God. We, we were kind of like uh, 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 Sweet Brown in, in that commercial, you know, the one up in Huntsville. And they got Jesus. I ran for my life, sweet Jesus. I ran. And we were just like Sweet Brown. We, we ran for our lives and because we did not want to get saved. We didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And so, so we we ran to other religions. We, we ran to other forms of spirituality. We ran to science. We ran to atheism. We ran to agnosticism. We ran to intellectualism. We ran to materialism. We ran to hedonism. We ran to money. We ran to sex. We ran to drugs. We ran to power. We ran to politics. We ran thinking that we were smarter than God. We ran. We ran thinking that God will somehow throw his hands up in there and say, have it your way. But how many of you know God ain't Burger King? You're not going to have it your way. But like Jonah, Sister Carmen, we not only discovered that God isn't moved by our refusal to heed his voice, we also found out that there are consequences to not listening to the voice of God. And so for the next few minutes, I'd like to, to highlight Five, five quick consequences from the text of not listening to the voice of God. The first, first consequence, Pastor, uh, Pastor Mike and the pulpiteers over there. The first is self-deception. The first consequence that I see in the text of when we 
of the consequence of failing to listen to the voice of God is self-deception. Now, a a simple definition of self-deception is, and I quote, deliberately closing our eyes to the evidence. Deliberately, intentionally, on purpose, closing our eyes to the evidence. That's what Jonah did. He closed his eyes to some theological truths that he knew all too well. You see, Jonah, again, was a prophet of God, which means that Jonah was a believer, which means that Jonah was in the family of God, which means Jonah heard God's voice, which means Jonah knew Scripture. If you don't believe that Jonah knew Scripture, read his prayer in chapter 2. His entire prayer is nothing but Scripture. So Jonah knew God. He was intimately acquainted with God's ways. And yet, Jonah deceived himself into thinking that somehow he could get away from the presence of God. Jonah knew that the psalmist said, where can I go? Where can I go to flee from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I ascend up to heaven, you're there. Wherever I go, you are there. And you all need to know that today, that no matter where you go, God is there. It doesn't matter where you run, where you try to hide, God is there. I used to tell my my students, uh, Pastor Brandon, when, when I was at Restoration Academy, I used to tell them, I don't care how many shades you pull down, I don't care how many lights you turn out. I don't care how many cuts you try to go and hide in. God is there. You can try to run from your parents, young people. I'm ready to get out your house. I don't want to. I, I, I don't like your ways, and I don't like to do things your way. So I'm going to go and do my own things. Where God's going to be right wherever you're going, you're right there. I used to tell. I used to tell my daughter all the time. I said, you know what? I, I can't follow you everywhere you go. I, I'm not going to even try. I don't have Life 360 on my phone. I don't have tracking stuff on my phone. Mama does, but Dad don't. And so I tell them, I said, I'm going to pray. I said, because God sees you wherever you go. And I'm going to ask God to expose you. And I said, now, now one thing that Alex knew when she was growing up, she knew that Mama and Daddy heard the voice of God. I was like, you know, I'm not going to stay up all night worrying about you. I'm going to sleep. But I'm going to pray that if you do anything you don't have any business doing, that when I open up my eyes, that the Lord start talking. And some of her classmates used to tell her, girl, sneak out the house. Girl, go climb out the window. She's like, "Uh uh-uh. Mm-mm. He said, God talked to my parents. God talked to my parents, and she knew that God talked to us. So Jonah closed his eyes to three important theological truths. Jonah closed his eyes to the reality that God is omnipotent. Yeah. 
which means that God is all-powerful. Jonah closed his eyes to the fact that God is omnipresent, that God is present everywhere at the same time. Jonah closed his eyes to the fact that God is omniscient, that God knows everything actual and potential. There is nothing that God doesn't know. And yet Jonah ran thinking that would silence the voice of God. Then we ask you, are you deceived? Have you deceived yourself into thinking that you can run from God? You've grown up in church. Your parents brought you to church. You've been to Sunday school. You've listened to sermons. And like Jonah, you decide that you're going to run thinking that somehow that's going to silence the voice of God. You know God is real. You, you, know, you know Jesus is real. You know Jesus got up on the third day. You know Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, and yet you think you can run. We think we can run. So we deceive ourselves. We trick ourselves. The worst kind of deception is self-deception. When you trick yourself, when you lead yourself off course, it's the worst kind of deception. The second consequence I see in this text, Sister Karen, is that God will turn up the heat to get our attention. God will turn up the heat to get our attention. Look, look, look back at the text in verse 4, and it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God has a way of, of turning up the heat. God has a way of applying pressure. God has a way of arresting our attention. God has a way of, of, of giving us a desire to do when we don't want to do. God has a way of turning the, the, the heat up. And, and trust me, I know because there are a number of times where God has had to turn the heat up on me when God has given me an assignment and I was a little slow about executing the assignment or I did not want to do the assignment, Sister Tish, because I was comfortable where I was. I was, I was all right where I was, God. I don't want to, I don't want to do that assignment. I don't want to move. I don't want to leave this space because I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm good, God. But God says, no, I need for you to leave where you are right now because I got another assignment for you. And, 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 and if you don't accept the assignment right away, God has a way of turning the heat up. He'll turn your frustration up. He'll turn your discomfort up. He'll make everything around you just so uncomfortable. You, you, you don't want to go to work. You know, uh, you, your boss, everybody starts turning against you. They start, start God, agonizing you, getting on your last, last, last nerve, and you don't know why because God says it's time for you to go. I got somewhere else for you to go. I got something else for you to do. And because you're dragging your feet, I've got to turn up the heat. Got to turn it up, turn it up. God will turn up the heat when you don't move. God will turn up the heat when you disobey. Run. 
God will turn what you thought to be fun, he'll turn it into agony. You think about the prodigal son, he, he thought he was going to uh, run away from home and he didn't like the assignment he had being a son. And so, Dad, give me uh, the portion that, 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 that belongs to me. And so he went out there and he thought he was going to have a good time. And God turned the heat up, brought a famine, went broke, had no food, no place to sleep, ended up in a pigsty eating food that was for pigs. And it was when he was in the pig started, he came to his senses. And he said, you know what? My father, man, I, I think I'd rather be a, a servant at my father's house than to be eating these pigs. And the Bible says he came to his senses and went back home. God turned up the heat. God turned the heat up on Jonah, God sent a storm. And sometimes God will send a storm. Now, we may like, don't like to hear this because we think the devil, oh, the devil. No, you better say, oh, it's God. Because the devil is not doing all of this. If you are a child of God and if God has spoken to you and you are disobedient, you can rest assured that it is God. God has turned up the heat. And God's not going to be concerned about your comfort. So, so God will turn up the heat in order to get our attention when we refuse to hear his voice. The third consequence I see in the text, and this may seem a little odd, but I want you to listen carefully. But the third consequence I see in the text, Sister Carlissa, is is something called collateral damage. Collateral damage. Now, now, according to Webster's Dictionary, collateral damage is injury inflicted on something other than the intended target. I'm going to read it again. Collateral damage is injury inflicted on something other than than the intended target. Now, now, folks who are in the military, immediately they understand that concept about collateral damage, that people, they weren't the intended target of the bombing or the shooting, but, but other people's lives got impacted by that. But, but in our text, when, when we refuse to obey the voice of God, trust me, there will and can be collateral damage. In other words, other people's lives will be infected by our disobedience. They, they weren't the intended target, but, but trust me, they will be impacted by it. Now, look, look, at verse, look back at verse 5. Let's look back at the text. Look at verse 5. Let's look back at verse 5 of the text. Now, Jonah went down below deck. And I want you to know how, how nonchalant and and unconcerned Jonah was, he went down slick and he fell into a deep sleep. Not just a sleep. The brother was snoring hard. I mean, have you had him I'm not hard sleep? He was in a deep sleep. The captain went down and said, hey, bro, how can you sleep? How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will notice us and we will not perish. 
Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Jonah is testifying to God's sovereignty, to God's power, to God's authority. Here's a man who knows who God is. And then look at verse 10. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? And the, and the author of this puts a parenthesis, this is like a commentary. He said, they knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them. But what they didn't understand is they didn't understand the implication of Jonah's running. They did not understand what they were about to get themselves involved in. They didn't realize this, but the Bible says that the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked, what should we do to make the sea calm down? They were trying to do everything in their powers to stop that sea from raging. These men were professional sailors. They understood seafaring. They understood what it meant to be out on the open water. They knew what they were doing, and they knew that if they didn't do something fast, their lives were going to be lost at sea. What should we do to make the sea calm down? And watch it for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will calm down. Now, I usually don't like to get all spiritual and metaphorical, but, but, but some of you got some Jonas that you need to throw overboard. You got some folks around you who diso who've been disobeying God, and, and you're suffering for it. But make no mistake about this, though, your failure to obey the voice of God has huge ramifications. It impacts your loved ones. It impacts those who are connected to you. Your disobedience has far-reaching implications. Jonah's disobedience almost cost these men their lives. Jonah's disobedience indirectly impacted somebody who were not, the, they were not the ones who were disobeying God. Jonah was. But yet they got caught up in that disobedience. The poet Don John says, no man is an island. No one lives unto himself. No one dies unto himself. What affects, someone, what affects one affects another. Your disobedience affects those who are close to you. You need to understand the ramifications of not obeying the voice of God because the ramifications are huge. 
But in addition to collateral damage, there's also something that I would call collateral blessing. Because it works on the other side when we obey God. Those who are connected to us are blessed. They are the beneficiaries of the overflow of the blessing that on our lives. Take, for example, Joseph. The Bible says that God blessed Pharaoh's house on account of Joseph. Not because the Pharaoh was doing anything deserving of, but because Joseph was obeying God, because Joseph was living right, because Joseph was obeying the voice of God, those who were surrounding Joseph was blessed because God's blessings were on him. Obeying the voice of God is important. See, see, we have to obey. The consequences are huge. We can change the course of our families by obeying God. And as a result of Jonah's disobedience that was collateral damage, these sailors' lives were impacted, and it pushed them to a point of almost wanting to do something irrational. And they begged God, do not hold this innocent man's death against us. Because they knew they were going to have to throw Jonah overboard. So the first consequence of not listening to the voice of God is self-deception. The second consequence of not listening to the voice of God from this text is that God will turn up the heat to get our attention. The third consequence that I see from this text is collateral damage. Others will be impacted by our disobedience. Now, this fourth one may not seem on the surface to be a consequence, but trust me, it is. The the fourth consequence of our failure to obey the voice of God is that our disobedience, and this is where the good news is, is that our disobedience does not cancel the grace of God. I, I, I don't think you heard me. Pastor Mike, I don't think they heard me. Uh, Daniel, I don't think they heard me. Brandon, I don't think they heard me. Your disobedience, my disobedience does not cancel the grace of God. You better hear me. And how do we know that, 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 that our disobedience doesn't cancel the grace of God? Well, I need you to jump over to uh, chapter 3. I need you to jump over to chapter 3 and let, let's, 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 let's listen to the words in verses 1 and 2. Uh, verse 1 of, of chapter 3 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, or what? Uh, talk to me, Harvest and, and Victory. The, the word of God came to Jonah, or what? A second time. Don't we serve a second time God? How many are glad that we serve a, a second time God? And I think we got some third time gods and some, some fourth time gods and, and some five time gods. We're glad that our God is, is a gracious and merciful God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Our disobedience does not cancel God's grace. God is a merciful God. And I want to dispel this idea that 
this theological idea that, that grace is, is for, the, for the New Testament. No, 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 no. You need to understand grace is all through the Bible. Grace is in the, the Old Testament. Grace didn't just show up in the New Testament. Grace is all through the Old Testament. Grace is in all 66 books. Jesus is the personification of grace, but make no mistake, grace is throughout the entire Bible. Jonah experienced the grace of God. Jonah experienced the mercy of God. Jonah experienced the goodness of God. And I don't know about you, I'm so glad that, that grace, grace is, 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 I don't even know what else to say. It's just grace. It's good grace. That, that God, in my disobedience, when, when I refused to obey the first time, the word of God came a second time, and sometimes it came a third time. God is gracious to us. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And, and get this. I want you to get this. God didn't change his mind about the instruction. God didn't change his mind. God says, Jonah, the word is coming back a second time. I ain't changed my mind. I still want you to go to that great city of Nineveh and preach. I ain't changed my mind. The instruction is still the same. But you know what? God could have just done away with Jonah the first time. And I dare say I'm sitting amongst a congregation of people who are so glad God didn't give up on you. That God didn't give up on you when you ran. When, when, when you basically thumbed your finger up at God. You didn't want to have anything to do with God. You told God, talk to the hand. I don't know if I believe in you. I don't know if I, I like the assignment. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. You, you ran from your parents. You ran from church. You ran from everything. And then God still came to you. God was still merciful to you. God still answered your prayers. Because we serve a God who is merciful. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, which is a manifestation of God's grace. And then the fifth and final thing that I see in the text, Deacon Fred, and I'm going to take my seat and let y'all go home. The last thing I see in the text that is a consequence that may not seem on the surface like a consequence. And that is this. When it's all said and done, when everything is over but the shout, God's purpose will prevail. God's purpose will prevail. Look, 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 look at verse 3 of chapter 3. Look, look at verse 3 of chapter 3. What does it say? It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. God's purpose will prevail in the end. You and I can eliminate a whole lot of heartache and pain if we just obey the first time. 
You know, that's what I tell my kids all the time. Obey the first time. Just obey the first time. What's so difficult about them? Just obey the first time. Just do it right the first time. You can eliminate a whole lot of heartache and pain if you obey the first time. The Bible says in Proverbs 19 and 21, many, say many, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. There's, there's an old saying that we that our arms are too short to box with God. And that is so very true. In the end, God's will, God's purposes, God's plan will prevail. Jonah didn't like God's assignment. God did not, Jonah did not want to do what God called him to do. Jonah took himself through a process that resulted in a lot of agony and a lot of pain that he could have averted. But in the end, God had to discipline his prophet in order to get him to do what he wanted him to do. But throughout that entire process in the life of Jonah, you see the goodness of God on display. You see the mercy of God on display. You see the faithfulness of God on display. You see the grace of God on display. In all of the chapters that we call the book of Jonah, we see our God at center stage and how he interacts with his children. I'm going to close with this. And I asked it before, what you running from? What you running from? Is there an assignment that God has given you that you running from? Has God spoken clearly to you about something he wants you to do? And for whatever reason, you haven't said yes? What is the assignment that God has given to you? And the second thing that you need to understand You can't run. You can run. You can't hide. So you may as well go ahead on and do it. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, you may as well go ahead on and do it. And I end with the words of D.L. Moody, the founder of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois. D.L. Moody said this, There will be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. There will be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for this word today. And Lord, I don't know who I may have been preaching to today. But perhaps that person is in this room right now. That they have been running. It could be that the person in this room has been running from your plan of salvation. They have been running. They know that Jesus died for them. They know that Jesus 
love them, but for whatever reason they have refused to surrender to your calling. I pray, Father, that they will, that they will surrender right now, that they will give their lives to to Jesus, that they would uh, recognize their, 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 their need to accept what you did on the cross over 2,000 years ago. Lord, we, we take authority over the enemy that might be blocking them, that causing them to resist coming to faith in Jesus. And that could be also the case for someone who is watching on the stream. The assignment to to come to faith in Jesus. They've been struggling, Lord. And they have ran, they, they've run into all these different other things trying to find peace. But, but as D.L. Moody has reminded us, there will be no peace. There will no be no peace, peace to the soul that does not obey the voice of God. And Father, it could be that there may be another assignment that someone in here has been given, but they have refused. It could be that you've called them to a new assignment in the church body, that you've called them to, to, uh, to step out of their comfort zone, to, to, to do something else in ministry. It could be that you, you've called someone to be a deacon. You could call someone to be an elder. You, you could call someone to, to, to what we call the, the, the preaching ministry, the proclamation of the gospel. You may have called someone to say, I want you to serve in the church. I want you to be a deacon. I want you to be an usher. I want you to do whatever it is, Lord. Give them the power to do it and to stop running. To stop hiding, to get off, off their bench, and to get into the game. And so, Father, we thank you, and Father, we give you praise this day. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you stand right where you are as we prepare to be dismissed.